Chapter 8, in which Christopher Robin leads an expedition to the North Pole. One fine day, Pooh had stumped up to the top of the forest to see if his friend Christopher Robin was interested in bears at all. At breakfast that morning, a simple meal of marmalade spread lightly over a honeycomb or two, he had suddenly thought of a new song. It began like this. Sing ho for the life of a bear. When he had got as far as this, he stretched his head and thought to himself. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode 563, The Meaning of Life Part 2, with Brady Bloom. No, I'm not. Pretty bird. Oh, you mean... There's something... All right, okay, go ahead. I have to tell you. Is it something nice? Not exactly. Then it can wait. It can? For how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever is a very long time, Pooh. Yeah, forever is a long time, and a lot of things change during forever. Like you can get a kid going from this forever to this. Yeah, can you say pretty bird? Pretty bird. Yes, pretty bird. To this. Chapter 8 in which Christopher Robin leads an expedition to the North Pole. And we have that very kid with us today, Brady Bloom, the voice of Christopher Robin and the blind kid from Dumb and Dumber, and a former Mormon and a huge, enormous fan of Infants on Thrones and me. So I captivated the guy who captivated a thousand guys. Can you believe that? A thousand guys. So yeah, today Brady and I talk about his evolving post-Mormon thoughts on the meaning of life. Enjoy. So Brady, you you were going to be on the conversation that we had the other night uh, talking about the meaning of life with Matt and Colton yeah. and Brad, but you were like actually experiencing life instead of talking about it, if I understand it right. You were doing something with your kids. Is that right? <laughs> no, I wanted to hang out with my wife, actually. I was I was going out of town. Same thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going out of town for a night, so I wanted to hang out with my wife the night yeah. before I left. So, But so it, it, it kind of inspired me to give that episode a part one and then just an excuse to have like a separate conversation with you about it. And then, you know, I, I think it could be an interesting series and uh, talk yeah. to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And, and we've got to get some uh, female non-white guy perspectives in here on the meaning of life too. <laughs> so that's coming. Five. That's coming. Yeah. I've, I've scheduled uh, at least two of those already. Um, awesome. but, uh, but so, you know, you've got such an interesting life. And I know we did an, uh, an episode that was just devoted to you, but that was a long time ago. Do you, do you even know what number it was? Don't you have it like, tattooed? Yeah, that's, I, I haven't <laughs> got a tattoo yet, but that's definitely the first one I'm thinking of getting. Um, <laughs> it's been over two years, man. It's, it's had to have been like two and a yeah, half. Yeah, probably longer than that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I know you don't like want to toot 
the horn about the whole dumb and dumber billion four C thing, but it's so cool, man. You know, like when I, when, when I think about my life and I used to do this a lot, I, I used to do this a lot where I wasn't happy with, you know, my first marriage and I would think, Oh, if I had this, this to do over again, I would do so many things differently. And, you know, one of the things was, uh, I'd go to LA cause I, I had a really good friend who went to LA and he tried the you know, like comedy scene. He tried to, he was like a writer or something for yeah. a while. And I thought that would be cool to be a writer. Like I'd, I'd love to be a writer and, and like make TV shows and things like that. You know, I, I, if I could go back in time, I would do that. And you got to live through that. You got to taste that, touch that. I mean, not as a writer, but you know, like in yeah. that industry as a kid, as Billy and four C as Christopher Robin, I mean, that's so freaking Cool. And then all the little cameos that you did on the different TV shows and people that you met. So, so, you know, like when I would think what, what could my ideal life be? You've kind of lived that, but you probably think, Oh, Glenn, you're so stupid. You have no idea how like insanely difficult and crazy and stuff that was, or maybe I'm just projecting. So I want to hear you talk about that and then talk about like kind of your life, like you're, you're, you're the, the, character arc of Brady Bloom <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> up to this point. Okay. The, the, the well, character in life that you're playing right now of Brady Bloom. I feel like, uh, I feel like that's definitely an exponential arc. Um, yeah. I, I like to joke though, that my life peaked when I was 10 and a half years old. <laughs> I don't know how I can, how I can do any better socially than being dumb and dumber and have a really memorable, memorable role. Um, yeah. and it, it's a movie that I love. It's one of my favorites and I quote it still all the time to this day. So yeah, it, yeah. I mean, definitely. I feel like that was a peak for me. Um, but to be completely honest, I loved my childhood. Like yeah. I loved growing up acting. It wasn't for everybody. I had siblings that decided they didn't like it because mm-hmm. we lived an hour from LA. I was in the car a lot, sometimes yeah. acting five days a week after school. Right. right? Um, but that's so cool that like, was it your mom mainly that was taking you back and forth primarily? Yeah. Like that's such a, such a, a gift that she gave to, you know, like I think about yeah. my own mom who sometimes listen to these things. So if you're listening to this mom, I'm sorry, but she put me in like a, I, I was in this agency for about six months or something until it was too much of a chore for her to like drive me to auditions and shows and things like that. I auditioned for a couple of commercials once, but I loved, I loved doing like improv. Yeah. Uh, classes and stuff like that. It was great. I was probably, I don't know, 14 or something at the time, but yeah, but that your mom would do that for you is really, really, that's cool. It, yeah. And honestly, I feel like my mom and I have uh, a unique relationship because of the amount of time we spent together too growing up. Yeah. So for me growing up. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, she gave a lot, a lot of time and sacrificed a lot and invested a lot in that too. And honestly, so did my siblings too, like not having my mom around and of course not having me around. I mean, come on. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and you, and you like made out with both Olsen twins, right? Uh, no, no not I'm quite, kidding. but that, <laughs> that would be, that would be a tale. <laughs> that would be a tale. <laughs> oh, man. I did date twins, one in sixth grade, one in eighth grade. Really? Yeah. That was, it's weird. That's a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I I have a friend from high school who, 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 uh, dated twins, but that was like a couple of years ago. So it was kind of, 
That's kind of weird. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a different story altogether. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, then uh, 18 years old, I was still working um, some uh, after high school and everything. I was still, and I was still doing a lot of voice work, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I was in the Barbara Harris Loop Group, which does the background voices of all the movies, and so, or of a ton of movies and TV shows. What do you mean by that? Like background voices? Um, just like- so, like, if you and I were in a cafe, and we're talking, we're the main characters, right? We're the two. Yeah, right. And then everyone else that's behind you, like in each of the shots on both sides, you see mm-hmm. the people that are a little closer up, like at the next table over, their mouths are actually moving, but they're not making noise. Like, oh, they're, they're, so they're they, silent. So then they hire huh. a group of people at the end. It's about a dozen people to come in and loop the entire movie. So it's just all the ADR and background voice. Sometimes there's like, key call outs or things where you can see people's lips moving and you have to kind of hmm. remember what they say. Think to it. it oh. it's, it's a fun job. Like that's, hmm. that's one of the funnest jobs I've ever had. I would go back to that any day. Um, yeah. Wow. So if the option was there, but, um, but yeah, so I was still working, went on my mission and I, I love my mission still to this day. The mission. Remind me where you went. Uh, Chile Concepcion. Right, so they just okay. got a temple recently, actually. Oh, congratulations. Uh, right. Woohoo. Yeah. My work, I, I did, my I'm sure they told off. you that that was, yeah, that that was one of the goals when you were there. Yep. It finally yeah. paid off. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved my mission. Um, still close friends with a lot of my companions and mission presidents and everything too. So I, I have been, I've been to Santiago twice. I, I, I liked it. Have you been back down there? I haven't. And okay it's a place I really want to go and I'd really like to take my wife and maybe my kids. We'll see. And now you can enjoy a Pisco sour because they, 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 there's this rivalry between Chile and Peru over who like originated the Pisco sour or who has the best Pisco sour. (laughs) It's Peru. So there's a rival. <laughs> they're, they're the winners. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Even the Chileans know it, but they'll still argue it oh, from my experience. There with them, is a rivalry between those two that runs very, very, very deep. Chile. It stems back to Lehigh. No, it stems back to a war <laughs> where Chile stole their ocean land or, or oh, sure, Bolivia yeah. from the ocean. Peru was trying right. to Bolivia. And so they they stole all of that land and there's like, there's a boat in Concepcion called the Huasca. That's like the boat they captured of the Peruvians. Mm. It's like this big national site and everything. It's, it's funny. They have it's a, called Huasca, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so from there, um, I got home from my mission and I tried getting back into acting I believe I did it a little bit too quickly because I was, mm. uh, I didn't realize how awkward or weird I actually was uh, <laughs> after being a missionary for two years, speaking Spanish for two years, like living in a third world co- or second world country uh, for yeah. years. Um, and so it, it didn't go as well as I hoped. And yeah. I got, um, I, I started selling security systems cause they roped me in with that whole like, work for a summer and then pay for the rest of the year. And then I was like, I could do acting the rest of the year and do this during the summers. Uh, um, and so then I got into sales and I've, I've been in sales ever since. Um, and how long ago is that? We're talking mm, 10 years. Yeah. More, like, uh, 10, 11 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
Plus, then you get married, you start having kids yeah. and expenses. Well, I, I started a climbing gym too. Like I, I used some of my money and invested in a climbing gym and yeah. I helped run that for two years. So, I mean, it wasn't just like the security sales by any means, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it was it, it was just different life than I ever expected or it's different life I was working toward, right? Work-wise. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that pans out in the long run. Time will tell. Uh, yeah. But- I got married at 26. Amazing wife could not ask for a greater gift, even though like we defied the odds. Absolutely. Because, um, we dated, we knew our families really well growing up. Like I dated her older or I hung out with her older sister. I sung with her older brother in a barbershop group. Um, and then Abby's eight years younger than me though. So she was different generation kind of, Uh, so we dated for, so wait, you were 26, she was 18. Months. Yeah. Wait. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. we, def- we defy odds. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely defy odds. Um, that's probably not as weird in the Mormon culture as it is outside of it. I don't know. Is it weird outside of it? Maybe. I don't know. I have no clue. Uh, yeah. I don't know either. I, I, I don't know. know. Um, it, it wasn't, well, it didn't feel weird. It felt great. Um, sure. but <laughs> Joseph Smith thought so. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, he did that multiple times. <laughs> Just find another 18 year old <laughs> or almost 18 year old. We have two. Beautiful I'm not comparing kids. you to Joseph I'm, Smith. I'm moving on. I'm moving this on. <laughs> we have, uh, two beautiful kids. We dated two months, engaged four months, married now. Eight and a half. But you knew each other like growing up and stuff too. We knew so. each other's families. So we, yeah, yeah we had yeah. a good idea at least, but still we do defy odds. Um, six and a four-year-old that are loves of our lives. Um, it's great. I, family life is awesome. Faith crisis comes. You can listen to the prep previous podcast for that if you want to um i should probably listen to it again because i feel like a completely different person now than i was then we were still attending um church at the time just not believing and um trying to make it work at that time so um so yeah i feel like i'm a completely different person now and um there's a whole lot that's changed but um definitely like as far as meaning of life type stuff i feel exponentially more connected to like spirituality now, which is weird. So I will add to this um, little background. I swung from extremely devout, full testimony, loving the gospel with all my heart, giving my life for it in, in many ways um, to shifting out of that, going through some big depression in that faith crisis shift and then um, landing kind of in an agnostic atheistic point of view. And this will actually, I think, start getting us into the meaning of life type stuff, Glenn, if you, if you want to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to interrupt real quick. I looked up your previous episode. It's episode 175, which means it's not on iTunes anymore. You'd have to go to the website to find it. It's called Billion 4C. It was published April 26, 2015, Woo! so three and a half years ago. Yeah. So there you go. That's been some time. So then you can gauge all of the changes that have happened in your life since then. Yeah. Um, and good, good little like bookmark data points, right? Uh, yeah. For me to look back on. Um, so after, 
after stepping away from the church and not attending anymore, um, I was floundering a little bit and just like, uh, and I was in that agnostic kind of point where like, what's the meaning of all of this? Like what the, is the mean, what the fuck's the meaning of this? Right. Yeah. And, and when I was depressed, especially that resounded, right. Um, cause it's like, what the f- is the point of all? What, what do you like when you say depression, what, what, what's that feel like? What, what, what did that feel like to you? What was that? Um, like during the time I was investigating the church is when I think I was like, uh, triggered for depression. Right. That's an interesting way of saying it. You were, you were investigating the church as you were losing your faith in it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, know, you usually think of investigators as the ones that are about to join the church. Well, not the ones it's the ones it. that are about to join life in a new way. Right. Yeah. Um, I like that way of looking at it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I think leaving the church is, I, I, I know people that sacrifice so much joining the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I feel that same level of sacrifice in, in leaving the church. Hardest yeah. thing I've ever done most likely not the hardest thing I'll ever do, um, mm-hmm. gratefully, but, uh, or I guess, un- I don't know, ungratefully or gratefully that whatever it is, I'll, I'll do. You with said it, man. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. In, in ways. Um, what did that feel like though is a really good question. And, um, it felt, uh, really empty and mm. very, extremely lonely. Um, and I, was it, was it hard to like motivate yourself to do things? I, when I didn't want to create anything, when I was investigating into the church in that way, um, I, I couldn't get myself to do anything, but study this stuff because it was the most important thing in my life. Like to know, Mm -hmm. like to double check and make sure like convince myself that I'm not making the biggest mistake of my life, right? Sure. That I'm not leaving my eternal salvation and my eternal family and all of these things that were everything to me, right? That my life. That's a, that's a mindset that unless you've gone through it, I mean, if, if you're, if you're a TBM, a true believing Mormon, and I doubt we've got any TBMs listening to this right now, but (laughs) but I could be wrong about that. I've been wrong about lots of things. If you're a TBM Mormon listening to this, send me an email. Let me know. But if you're a TBM, you don't you don't know that. You don't realize how, and not everybody who leaves the church goes through this. I'm sure, but but yeah. there are people who like take this really really seriously. Yeah. What what like what what would you where would you spend your time as you were learning about this stuff? What was the source of information for you? Um, at first, it was Mormon stories. So mm. uh, Benji Schwimmer introduced yeah. me to Mormon stories. Um, he could, because of his episode. And then also he shared one of Jared Anderson's on the Bible. I was teaching seminary when I started my faith crisis. Um, and I was teaching new Testament and he yeah. and I listened to the Jared Anderson one, which is phenomenal on the new Testament. Um, and then I started towing like this or walking this line of following, listening to more of the apologists, but that we're diving into the issues, the Bushman episodes, the Givens episodes, things like that on Mormon stories until I started like really feeling like, okay, I've got to explore deeper because there's too many unanswered questions now. Um, when, when you were listening to Mormon stories, were there other like um, 
pro-faith Mormon podcast that you would listen to to get that side of the story as well? I don't even know what those would be. Not I'm at, sure they're not there. at that time. I, I wasn't a big podcast listener at that time. Okay. So um, I was mainly just listening to what was on Mormon stories and you and, pick the, the ones that seemed more like faith friendly. Yes. And I had just started a job, uh, a, a big job improvement for me from what I was doing before. And I was commuting to LA pretty often. And mm, so I yeah. just had hours in my windshield. Right. So I was just like consuming a lot right. of information. Um, and then it was the CES letter that was kind of the final kicker for me that allowed me. So uh, this was a pivotal point for me in life, a crux point, um, in my life line. Um, it, it allowed me after reading that through in a day, um, to come home from work and stay in my truck for an extra like 45 minutes to an hour because I was bawling in tears uh, because I had finally allowed myself to ask the question, what if it's not true and everything crumbled? It all fell apart when I allowed myself to actually reflect and yeah. ask myself in honesty, like with real intent, right? Um, as Marana <laughs> recommends. Yeah. <laughs> That, yeah, it, that, it's such a different experience from mine, which is is cool. I like hearing it. I, you know, the, the I can, CES I can letter tell it a came. lot better now than then too, because I was hiding so much when, or yeah, I was hiding, man. I was hiding yeah. from a lot of people and from being myself uh, when I, in the last time we talked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, 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 right. Because you, you we, last time we, we recorded an episode, not last time we talked, but last time we recorded an episode for you, right. Um, yeah. is, uh, uh, you, your, your wife was still in the church. She's not now. So you had to kind of frame. I was too. What I you were was talking still, about differently. Yeah. yeah I was attending yeah. and I was not believing in the truth. Yeah. But I was trying to right. see the good. I was trying to see the good there still, right? And there is good. I saw good. Oh, absolutely, it sure. For me, right? Like it, it didn't feel good to me. Yeah. I, I, I find the CES letter impact on your story very interesting. That, that's what I see as, uh, you know, like very different for me. And I, I'm sure a lot of listeners now have gone through probably a similar experience that you did, where where the the CES letter played that influence on you. I I've still never read the CES letter entirely all the way through. I've skimmed it a couple of times. Um, and just, you know, I just kind of go like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Know that, know that, know that. Yep. Heard that, heard that, heard that, you know, and like going through it, but for, for people coming into it that haven't to have all of that information in one place. So easy, like so easily accessible. Think of it yeah. visually, right? Yeah. Think right. Of it like, the outline. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And so this, this kind of wave, right, of like new information and yeah. doubt and questions starts to emerge, but it's hitting in like moments like this, right? Like tap and then another tap and kind of like uh, this might have been more like yours, right? Where it's slowly building up this pressure. Very much. Time. Yeah. And that's how it yeah. was for me with these podcasts. And I started reading some of the books, Redstone Rolling and the church history stuff. And I, I loved getting into the actual like original journals and things too over time. But mm -hmm. what the CES letter did is there was already all this like pressure from a lot of weight that had built up. But then the CES letter, it, I think it's even been revised since I read it, but it, 
there were parts of it that I was like, ah, okay. Like I, I was able to discern and I was looking and trying to discern, like, this is kind of just like a little too like anti-Mormon or negative on its view. Right. Mm-hmm. It's making too yeah. many assumptions. Um, but there were so many facts still laid out one after one, after one, after one, that it just builds up and it's just pounding that pressure till the dam breaks. Right. That, mm-hmm. that dam that I had of, really maybe my testimony, right? It's my protective shell of my testimony in that way just snapped because it was yeah. too much weight to, to carry at that point. And it was a month and a half after that, that I blessed my son in, in church on Sunday, um, yeah. which was a very different baby blessing yeah. than my daughter's. Oh yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. So, all right. Well, um, so let's let's talk about the meaning of life. So you listened to that episode that we did, and you know we could comment on things that came up in that episode if you want to, or we could go. I mean, I don't. Wh- where where do you want to go with it, Brady? Why don't we just go with um, questions to each other? We we can comment okay. a little on on things that were heard. Um, okay. I I don't remember them explicitly now. I'm <laughs> I'm not the best at remembering things. That's just the truth. <laughs> So that's, uh, that's, that's more like Winnie the Pooh than Christopher Robin. It is, which might be where I go with my whole no mind philosophy anyway. Yes. Well, it, did, did you read the Tao of Pooh? I did. I, I've read Love half it. of it. Abby finished okay. the whole thing. I, yeah. I really enjoy it, but even more than the Tao of Pooh. So I think the reason why I only got halfway through the Tao of Pooh and I get halfway through a lot of books. I'll psych- I have like, I have a whole lot of books out right now. I do too. Like they're, they're half, half is a lot further than I get through on most of my books, Brady. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And, and I'm a third of the way in and then it's like, okay, is it resonating with me or, or is something else pulling my interest more right at this mm-hmm. time? Because really I try to go where my interests lead me because right. it's way more fun that way. Like I just love it. And then you kind of see a lot about yourself in the long run too, right? It kind of tells a story. Uh, and, and most books tell their story within the first you know, like the, the introduction is a good overview and then the chapter, you can kind of see where it's going and kind of get the gist of it. You don't always have to. And, and I'll normally skim through and see like a couple chapters that stand out to me too. Right. And I'll yeah. go to those chapters and I'll start skimming those or I'll read deep if they look good. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I, my, my approach to learning is, is kind of different instead of just trying to like remember information, I try to absorb information and I try mm-hmm. to uh, make it in, integrate information into the way I live more. Right. So I'll, I'll kind of let things sit a lot longer. And, and so my memory of like specific quotes is not the greatest. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's given me some wisdom, um, through practice. Right. So, um, but anyway, I digress. Um, Dao of Pooh, I had read like six months before for the first time, even though I was the voice of Christopher Robin, for the first time, I read Winnie the Pooh, the actual A.A. A. Milne book. Oh, um, yeah. books the I've never read it. To, yeah. my, to my daughter, right? Who was like four nice. at the time. And yeah. I, did, I did all the Pooh voices. I'll do an, mm-hmm. dude, I would do, totally do like my favorite chapter of A.A. A. Milne for you to, to post. And I'll do the character voices if you want. Awesome. That'd yeah, do it. Um, because yeah. there is so much wisdom in that book. Um, it is awesome. Um, so just really like, I, I learned a lot from reading that and, and f- relating a lot to poo, um, in that way. Cool. So, um, yeah, that's all I had to say on that, but the meaning nice. of life. Why are we here? 
What's life all about? Is God really real? Or is there some doubt? Well, tonight we're going to sort it all out. For tonight, it's the meaning of life. I want to kick this off a little bit because I've been dwelling on that topic uh, for the last couple days as you put it out there for me. And um, to be completely honest, it is the topic that I dwell on a lot, like every day. It, it, it very much is a persistent um, thing for me in delving into like my beliefs, my beliefs and my, um, my framework, right? The way that I see the world, my perception, right. my, my yeah. everything. Um, so finding like meditation really helped me with that. And to start to look inward more. Um, how, how, how many minutes a day do you meditate? It varies. Um, there have been times when I've had a really good consistent practice for months at a time where I was doing a minimum of 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening. And some of those 30 minute sessions would extend to more like 50 to, to an hour. Um, how do you do like, I, I try, I like, I'll set a timer and I don't think I've hit 10 minutes yet. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll try and I sit there and I, like, I can kind of still my mind a little bit, but then I get like certain thoughts that excite me, you know, like, like it kind of tones absolutely. the noise down, but I get, yeah. but it like zeroes in like on a certain thing that I get really, really interested in, but then I get antsy and I've got to go and do something with that. Yeah. And, um, so I, I allow myself different kinds of meditation sessions now. I'm a yeah. lot more, um, I don't know. I, I, I like to do it the way I feel like I'll enjoy it in that moment, right? And so sometimes I'll meditate in different ways. Walking meditation is a very useful form of meditation. Um, but even for me, like when it Explain was, that to me. I've never heard of walking meditation before. Um, Walking it sounds meditation. like something you do with a yo-yo. <laughs> walk the dog, man. Yeah. yeah, but but like if you walk the dog and then it just like holds perfectly still and just spins and spins and spins for like 30 minutes in the morning and 30 walking minutes meditation. in the evening, that's like walking the dog meditation, the yo-yo move. Anyway. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> I got to get back into yo-yo. Man, those were... Yo-yo the- yoga. Um, so walking meditation... Um, you can, you can do it in a few different forms, but, um, to get started, the best way to start is one step per half breath. So when you step, you breathe in for the full breath, and then you step and breathe out for the full breath. And you really start to hone in, you pay attention, you allow yourself a little more freedom with walking meditation, but the, instead of just like focusing on the breathing, on your breathing and, and your breath and what the sensations of the breath, you're focusing on the sensations that you feel with your feet. That's your, that is your um, object for the meditation. But with walking meditation, you're actually supposed to allow your attention to wander to different objects, but fully like, so if a bird passes, you fully watch that bird and give it. Uh, do you have headphones it. on and listening to music as you're doing this? Or are you sure. just like, plugged into nature i like i like meditating with headphones i i probably oh no i don't do it more often than without but i i love i mean one of my meditations that i do um almost weekly right now is well and i even have my 
I have a crawl space in the place that we're in right now um, that goes underneath the apartment that we're at. And I have my whole like meditation setup down there. I have, I have wow. a rug. I have some, some items that are really important or just meaningful reminders to me. Um, I have some books and things too that I'll, I'll read occasionally, but um, not all the way. I hope. No, not all the way. No, no. Stop about halfway through. That's the best. But one of my, one of my practices right now is to on Sunday nights, most Sunday nights, I take an edible and I go down into what my kids call my dungeon, which is my meditation area. And I put on headphones and I meditate for three hours ish. Right. But it's a free flowing meditation. So it's more following my emotions. Right. And listening to my emotions more and deciphering that following my thoughts, but like working them out. Right. Like actually questioning them and, and, breaking them down a little bit more so I can have a insight into myself more. Um, I think that's just called being stoned, Brady. Hey, you want to get high, man? That's how they do. They got wooden balls, man. <laughs> Walk the dog, man. One half step for every puff. <laughs> so yeah, like that's, that's, I love, it's one of my favorite things. It is my favorite thing to do. One of them, one of probably two. And, and, and what kind of insights do you get? What's your, what's your favorite insight, Brady? What's your favorite insight? So insight doesn't really work like that. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious though. Cause, um, insights, it, like it's a lot of times like reading things, for example, reading the words of Jesus, right. Or reading the bird, the words of, of Buddha, um, or, or your favorite philosopher, or if you're reading something a little deeper, right. That's kind of like cracking into stuff that you don't quite fully understand, but you're trying, right. You're like, mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting with it. Um, insight is the experience that unlocks those like knowings, right. Instead of having it be informational in your mind, it's more of a felt experience that changes your perception of life. But, but isn't uh, like, isn't there some kind of meaning that gets attached to that, that you can articulate that, you know, it's like, I, I can put it all connected words, or, but, you but know, a lot of times I think the reason I say insight doesn't work like that is words. This is actually very important for me to clarify. Cause it's something that really affects me a lot is that words are just symbols, right? Sure. Words, words themselves have no meaning. It is the meaning we all agree and attach to those words that we understand. But that means that every single word really means something different to every single person. It just means something similar, right? And some of those things are easier to get like grass or a tree or chair is a lot easier to agree upon than a thing like God, right? Sure. Because God is just a word, but what that word means to every single person is extremely unique, right? Um, some hoard together and have similar definitions that they define it by, but it's still informed by their relationship with their own father and mother and husband or, or wife. It's, it's informed by all their, their relationship primarily with themselves, right? And this is an insight, I guess you could say, um, that I've had. But again, words just it's hard to wrap words around like the meaning of it. Um, you can use words to explain it, but it might not have the impact that it does when you feel it. Why is precision so important to you, Brady Bloom? Um, 
So it's one of it's one of my core principles. So that's why. Really, precision. Yeah. Well, so no. it, it it seems no. like you're you're hesitant. The re, the reason I say that I'm kind of teasing you. The reason I say that is because it seems like you're hesitant to say like to like to try to put these symbols these words to your experiences because they're not going to precisely match what those experiences are and yet the only way that we really have to try to share what yeah. we experience those feel you know like it's ineffable right like that's a good word but it's, yes it's, it's ineffable but ineffable isn't a good word cuz all it really means is i just can't explain it to you right so to sure, me sure. precision is extremely important with language I think precision with language. So one of my core principles. But you also realize that it's absolutely impossible. What? Having precision with language? Yeah. You can't, you can't precisely describe. No. Like you just, you just said that you know, like if somebody uses a word like God, they're going to, you know, like they're going to have different conceptions. That word yeah. means something different to everybody. So, so you can't but really understanding that and understanding that I can dig deeper. Right. So a principle I've been practicing that I learned from Thich Nhat Hanh this year. We're not arguing. I, we're, not, we're not like angry what? at each other, right? No. I'm just oh. making sure. Okay. All right. Okay. Glenn, these are my favorite kinds of Good. conversations and I don't right. get to have them very often. Uh, oh, you can have them with me. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Um, let's go. Where was I going? What was I talking about? Oh, so Thich Nhat Hanh, being able to look deeply, right? So instead of just seeing... Uh, most of the time, when we are looking at someone else, even looking into their eyes, all we're really seeing is our image of that person. Of course, yeah. The way that, the way that we interpret. Yeah. It's our perception of who they are, their name themselves, the way they act in public, right? It's, it's not who they are, right? The only person that knows who they are, and that's even questionable, is that person themselves. You know what else I think we do, you know, because like our, our brains have evolved to, to do this. So if you look similar to somebody that I had an experience with when I was a kid, then I will feel towards you the way that that person made me feel. And that's not fair to you, but that's what I do. Right. That that's kind of like, Oh, you remind me of my cousin because you do. You remind me of my cousin. And like, I have a great affection towards my cousin. So you, so I already have a great affection towards you, whether you've earned it or not. Yep. So what I'm saying is earn it, Brady. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Earn it. <laughs> I hope I am. No, you do. You do. You absolutely do. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. So in that same way, like if we're talking about a word like God, which is something that in the other discussion was the main topic of conversation really like right like it for a big section when yeah like when when matt yeah yeah i and and you know like listening back to it i i even when we were in and i'm like well we're talking about the meaning of life not necessarily god but okay go ahead matt you know talk yeah. about like that life is god okay that's cool but i you know and, i and, love that it went there though because oh and and then when i when i when i grabbed that monty python song and played at the end of it it's right there in the in the first of that too. So I'm like, okay, well, a it's discussion everywhere. of God can't be that far away from the mean a discussion on the meaning of life. It's it's gonna pop up. So it, absolutely, it, yeah. to me, like, why would there be meaning to life other than our own self prescribed meaning, right? Because just like words, if we're talking about <laughs> if we're talking about a greater meaning, yeah. like for when I I think when people say what is the meaning of life, it's like. Why the f do human beings exist? 
Right. Right. And God, God is a symbol. <laughs> the concept of God is a symbol or a metaphor for the meaning of life. Yeah. Just, just like these sounds that our words are representing these things that we're trying to describe to each other. That's really what any, any discussion or belief in God is, is, is an expression of, or in, in, in this case, a personification, maybe a deification yeah. of a, a evidence of respect. Anyway, go ahead. I, I absolutely agree with you. Like if they yeah. aren't the same thing, they're so closely related that yeah. it's kind of impossible to talk about one without the other. Yeah. Um, so in, in trying to understand someone else's perception of God, right? What does that mean? Before I would lay all my baggage on them, not knowing that I was doing that. Right. And then when I, so what ended up happening for me first in a conversation, I bring up God a lot to strangers right now um, on planes or I've, I've been loving Lyft and Uber rides because like I have been having some really deep conversations with just random people. Right. But, um, but they're my favorite kind of conversations to have. So I start them up um, and talking about God's a great way to do that. But I think the first thing that needs to be understood is kind of what does that mean to you? Right. So what describe to me what God means. And then if they start talking about, well, he's this and that the way I would have as a Mormon, right. He's my heavenly father. And I don't even remember how I can define him as a Mormon though. Um, but God is my father. And then a body of, of flesh and bone, right. Not blood. Right. There were a lot of details in Mormon God. Um, for me, immediately I can say, well, that's not like, that's not what I'm, how does that affect you? How does that change the way that you are? What is God like? Right. And so like the scriptures say, God is love. You know, God is light. I am the way, the truth, the life. There's all these symbols that are thrown out all the time because symbols, we can all find meaning in symbols wherever we're at. That's the valuable thing about symbols, right? No matter yeah, where what's we're the at, danger, what's the danger of symbols. So the value in them is that sharing something through like a symbol or using imagery rather than direct like words yes. allows it to connect with people wherever they are at, right? The, yeah, it's, it's also all we have. The danger in symbols is assuming that one, my definition is correct. And two, everyone else kind of thinks like me. And so yep. I projecting myself onto everybody else with the assumption that my ideas are right and correct, yeah. right? Um, I think that's the danger in them, but, but yeah. I, I, I agree with you. That is a danger. That's not quite the danger I was thinking of, but that's cool. It, I'm it, not saying there's a right or a wrong. I, I, <laughs> I, I see a huge danger with symbols is that uh, people get way too attached to the fucking symbol. And they forget that it's a fucking symbol. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it becomes the source of worship and veneration. And uh, if anybody defies or challenges the symbol, then their, you know, feathers get ruffled because then they attach their identity to the symbol. So, you know, like, anyway, go ahead. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and literally, like, 
just the Mormon canon, which is a very yeah. small canon of scripture, right? But you look through yeah. that and like the Old Testament and Jesus talking, but like Moses was, it's like, there shall, like Moses is no idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the Jews, it's, it's like hypocrisy and idolatry, right? It's all these things that we're just so, it's so easy to get attached to the symbols or the person, right? The, yeah. that individual as like my connection to God, that's there. We're missing the point if we do that. Right. Because those same people, let's just look at Moses and Jesus, right? Moses sees with a burning bush, right? A burning bush is a great symbol, um, mm-hmm. potentially, some type of medicinal symbol of some type even, right? Hey, you want to get high, man? (laughs) (laughs) It's a burning bush. Like it it could be, it could be used that way. Sure. And and in, that's another danger with symbols is they can be used in a lot of different ways to mean a lot of different things. Absolutely. I'm not saying that that's true or that it's even necessary. I don't think, I don't think that's necessary at all with this symbol, but it, it is a potential application of that. Right. So with that though, Moses, in talking to God face to face, here's God's name. What was God's name, Glenn? Do you remember? This is this is a pop quiz. I am trying to remember. I am kind of stuck. I oh wait, is that close? I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. That's that's God's name. I am. That's also what Thanos says when Thanos first appears in Infinity War. Dread it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same. And now it's here, or should I say, I am. I am. Which is a wonderful new Allusion to the... Yeah, right. It's, It's a new mythology for people that aren't into ancient mythology. Right. Right. Um, And so there's a lot of symbols and a lot of teaching done through like Marvel movies, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through Uh, any any kind of art form. Through good art, you're going to get point of view and a message. Right. Even bad Um, art. Right. So even bad art. So I am that I am. They ask Jesus. He is God. I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And the son of man and the son, the son of God um, in that way. But I am. Right. And. I believe, so my definition, part of my definition of God is I believe that that that, uh, pronoun was not meant Mm -hmm. to be changed. I believe that you are just as much an I as I am, Glenn, Mm -hmm. right? You are I and I, but I am I also, right? I am is like God is within us but but we are not god in that way but we are i am god does that make sense that's why it's so confusing well guku kachub i understand what you're saying yeah i get it so um, we are you, you like know, god like this almighty power but sure god god yeah well that, that that's why i thought matt's right matt's uh way of thinking of god as life is a much easier way to to accept that to say we're all alive that was and the first life is, you know, glorious. It's worth worshiping. It's deity. It's eternal. It is. <laughs> you know, like, it's even eternal. if this, this form that I'm life in isn't is eternal. 
yeah that is the name of god you know we've t- we've talked about how there's dangers and symbols you know different dangers and symbols there, there's another one that i want to kind of talk about in the way that symbols can reflect something that's really deeply meaningful to people and then have that used politically against them to usurp power you know or, or things like this so so when i look at stories like the Old Testament, Moses, uh, and stuff. I, I I read this book called Who Wrote the Bible um, yeah. by Stephen Friedberg, I think is his name. And um, it, it it really opened up my eyes to how the, the different versions of the different stories that are in today's Bible were written at different times for different political reasons by different groups that were trying to gain political power. Of and, course. Yeah. The, Bible, and, and, the Bible is a piece of art, which art yeah. should always be viewed from its own context, but should also be looked through for the principles to be learned through it, right? Yeah. And you can learn just as much about that power and that manipulation, and that can be an important principle and learning to come from it too, right? Yeah. And, and there's, there's like a bait throwing out the baby with the bathwater problem when you recognize, oh, okay, the, the Bible is politically motivated work of art. But, but if, you, if you recognize it works on different levels, it, because the reason it works as a political device is because it actually inspires people. And the reason that it actually inspires people is because it's touching something that's really meaningful at, at a deep level to, to people. And, and that's the area that I get interested in understanding yeah. more. And, Absolutely. and Absolutely. And the different ways, like try, trying to do like a comparative mythology across cultures and go, what, what are the things that are really important to humanity, even though they're expressed in different ways through different cultural artistic expressions? Yeah. Okay. You're holding up a book called The Perennial Philosophy by Alice Huxley. Okay. I've, yeah. I've heard that name, but yeah, I don't really know that. That's, that work, yeah. that's what this book is and his work was all about. Like in the, I think it was the thirties or the forties. Um, but he basically goes through all of the primary religious traditions and texts and mm-hmm. pulls out the core philosophical principles, yeah. applicable life meaning principles, because right. so think about the reason why these texts were written first the, the earliest texts that we have available to us, the Bible, the Tao Te Ching, right? Um, the, the Bhagavad, I can never Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad Gita, yeah. the Vedas, right? So Shiki, the Kojiki. were religious because yeah. prior to writing, the ability to write, Tale of Gilgamesh, all of these, all of these were told, and these principles and important principles to keep like humans living good lives essentially was the purpose were passed mm. on through stories. Yeah. And they had shamans, right. That would mm-hmm. tell these stories. They were master storytellers. Right. And in telling these stories and passing on these stories, they passed on information, the most important information they would tie into stories. Right. That's why we have so many heroes journeys. You have all of these types of things that are archetypes for the human experience. Right. It was psychology before atheism. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so in passing those down, things were changed. Things were twisted. You would definitely have a shaman that believed it literally, right? Because it's so easy to get stuck on the idolization of the symbols and these gods and these things. Right. But that luckily, at least 
the kernels of principles or insights were actually still translated through those as well. So there's a lot of bullshit to like weed through in older stuff. Um, some of them are better than others and more, more filtered and thoughtful than others. You don't, not as much bullshit to filter through, but at their core, there, there are some really powerful and meaningful ways to live your life. When I was studying folklore, there was a question of monogenesis versus polygenesis. Now the word mono means single, the word poly means multi. It's, it's right. asking the question, if you see a tradition somewhere, does, and you, you see something, the, the example I always used to give to my students was these wooden shoes. Like you, you can think of Dutch wooden shoes and there's a specific, like, like very distinct shape and the way that they would decorate them with colorful flowers right. and stuff, you know, well, they also there's have a lot of specificity with that. Th there's a lot of specificity to it. Um, and, and Mexico, they also have a tradition of wooden shoes. And if you look at a wooden shoe in Mexico um, and one in, in you know, a, a Dutch wooden shoe, you would see similarities. And so it might make you ask the question, oh, well, where did this one thing originate? Where was the single origination for this? If there is monogenetic mono explanation to this, did someone from the Netherlands travel to Mexico and teach them how to do it? That you know, some from Mexico travel or, or another explanation is polygenesis that says, well, actually uh, the reason that these develop is because all humans have feet and all humans need to cover their feet. And there's a, a finite uh, uh, amount of resources to choose from. And there's only a certain number of ways that you can design that. And these two cultures just happen to do solve this common problem in a similar way. And so that, right. that's more the polygenesis. So when, when I think about like the, the, the meaning that people can bring or you know can create for themselves when they're looking at a piece of art or they're examining a piece of art um i don't necessarily think that that meaning comes from the art itself but it comes from that common thing that all people share just like we all have feet mm -hmm. you know, that, that we all have certain like instincts and emotions and proclivities to think and feel in certain ways and have existential angst and you know like ask certain questions and, and so sometimes it doesn't even really matter what the work of art is. It's whatever that's triggering in somebody's interpretation of it to bring them meaning. Yeah. So, so it's very subjective, but it's also very personal, uh, like personally meaningful to that person. Yeah. This ends part one. Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Hey, this is Billy and 4C from Rhode Island. Yes, that's right. The blind kid from Dumb and Dumber, and now Dumb and Dumber 2, too. Yes, a pseudo-celebrity Mormon. Infants on Thrones has helped me come to grips with the tragedy that I've seen. Well, heard about at least, when learning that the thing that mattered most to me ended up being dead all along. I mean, Petey didn't even have a head. If you heart the show as much as I do, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Write a short review, and oh my heck, why not post about it on the social media? Unless you're still stuck in the Relief Society closet about your faith transition stuff, like I am. And always remember, I just thought he was real quiet. Anyone for the closing prayer? Chapter 8, in which Christopher Robin leads an expedition to the North Pole. One fine day, Pooh had stumped up to the top of the forest to see if his friend Christopher Robin was interested in bears at all. At breakfast that morning, a simple meal of marmalade spread lightly over a honeycomb or two, 
he had suddenly thought of a new song. It began like this. Sing ho for the life of a bear. When he had got as far as this, he stretched his head and thought to himself, That's a very good start for a song, but what about the second line? He tried singing ho two or three times, but it didn't seem to help. Perhaps it would be better, he thought, if I sang high for the life of a bear. So he sang it, but it wasn't. Very well, then, he said. I shall sing that first line twice, and perhaps if I sing it very quickly, I shall find myself singing the third and fourth lines before I have time to think of them, and that will be a good song. Now then, sing ho for the life of a bear, sing ho for the life of a bear. I don't much mind if it rains or snows, cause I've got a lot of honey on my nice new nose. I don't much care if it snows or thaws, cause I've got a lot of honey on my nice clean paws. Sing ho for a bear, sing ho for a poo, and I'll have a little something in an hour or two. He was so pleased with this song that he sang it all the way to the top of the forest. And if I go on singing it much longer, he thought, it will be time for the little something, and then that last line won't be true. So he turned it into a hum instead. Christopher Robin was sitting outside his door, putting on his big boots. As soon as he saw the big boots, Pooh knew that an adventure was going to happen, and he brushed the honey off his nose with the back of his paw and spruced himself up as well as he could so he could look ready for anything. Good morning, Christopher Robin, he called out. Hello, Pooh. I can't get this boot on. That's bad, said Pooh. Do you think you could very kindly lean against me, because I keep pulling so hard that I fall over backwards? Pooh sat down, dug his feet into the ground, and pushed hard against Christopher Robin's back. And Christopher Robin pushed hard against his, and pulled and pulled at his boot until he had got it on. And that's that, said Pooh. What do we do next? We are all going on an expedition, said Christopher Robin as he got up and brushed himself. Thank you, Pooh. Going on an expedition, said Pooh eagerly. I don't think I've ever been on one of those. Where are we going on this expedition? Expedition, silly old bear. It's got an X in it. Oh, said Pooh. I know. But he didn't really. We're going to discover the North Pole. Oh, said Pooh again. What is the North Pole? he asked. It's just a thing you discover, said Christopher Robin carelessly, not quite being 
said Christopher. It's just a thing you discover, said Christopher Robin carelessly, not being quite sure himself. Oh, I see, said Pooh. Are bears any good at discovering it? Of course they are. And Rabbit and Kanga and all of you. It's an expedition. That's what an expedition means, a, a long line of everybody. You'd better tell the others to get ready while I see if my gun's all right. And we must all bring provisions. Bring what? Things to eat. Oh, said Pooh happily. I thought you said provisions. I'll go and tell them. And he stumped off. The first person he met was Rabbit. Hello, Rabbit, he said. Is that you? Let's pretend it isn't, said Rabbit, and see what happens. I've got a message for you. I'll give it to him. We're all going on an expedition with Christopher Robin. What is it when we're on it? A sort of boat, I, I think, said Pooh. Oh, that sort. Yes, and we're going to discover a pole or something. Or was it a mole? Anyhow, uh, we're going to discover it. We are, are we? Yes, and we've got to bring po things to eat with us, in case we want to eat them. Now I'm going down to Piglet's. D tell Kango, will you? He left Rabbit and hurried down to Piglet's house. The Piglet was sitting on the ground at the door of his house, blowing happily at a dandelion, and wondering whether it would be this year, next year, sometime, or never. He had just discovered that it would be never, and was trying to remember what it was, and hoping it wasn't anything nice, when Pooh came up. Oh, Piglet, said Pooh excitedly, we're going on an expedition, all of us, with things to eat, to discover something. To discover what? said Piglet anxiously. Oh, just something. Nothing fierce? Christopher Robin didn't say anything about fierce. He just said it had an X. It isn't their necks I mind, said Piglet earnestly. It's their teeth. But if Christopher Robin is coming, I, I don't mind anything. In a little while, they were already at the top of the forest, and the expedition started. First came Christopher Robin and Rabbit, then Piglet and Pooh, then Kango with Rue in her pocket, and Owl, then Eeyore, and, at the end, in a long line, all Rabbit's friends and relations. I didn't ask them, explained Rabbit carelessly. They just came. They always do. They can march at the end af after Eeyore. What I say, said Eeyore, is that it's unsettling. I didn't want to come on this exp... what Pooh said. I only came to oblige. But here I am. And if I am the end of the exp... what we're talking about, then let me be the end. But if every time I want to sit down for a little rest... I have to brush away half a dozen of Rabbit's smaller friends and relations first, and this isn't an exp-whatever-it-is-at-all. It's simply a confused noise. That's what I say. I see what Eeyore means, said Al. If you ask me, I'm not asking anybody, said Eeyore. I'm just telling everybody. We can look for the North Pole, or we can play Here We Go Gathering Nuts in May with the end part of an ant's nest. It's all the same to me. There was a shout from the top of the line. Come on, called Christopher Robin. Come on, Come on called Pooh and Piglet. Come on, called Owl. We're starting, said Rabbit. I must go. And he hurried off to the front of the expedition with Christopher Robin.
All right, said Eeyore. We're going. Only don't blame me. So off they all went to discover the pole, and as they walked, they chattered to each other of this and that, all except Pooh, who was making up a song. This is the first verse, he said to Piglet, when he was ready with it. First verse of what? My song. What song? This one. Which one? Well, if you listen, Piglet, you'll hear it. How do you know I'm not listening? Pooh couldn't answer that one, so we began to sing. They all went off to discover the pole. Owl and Piglet and Rabbit and all. It's a thing you discover, as I've been told, by Owl and Piglet and Rabbit and all. Eeyore, Christopher, Robin and Pooh, and Rabbit's relations all went too. And where the pole was, none of them knew. Sing hey for Owl and Rabbit and oh. Hush, said Christopher Robin, turning round to Pooh. We're just coming to a dangerous place. Hush, said Pooh, turning round quickly to Piglet. Hush, said Piglet to Kanga. Hush, said Kanga to Owl, while Roo said, Hush, 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 several times to himself very quickly. Hush, said Owl to Eeyore. Hush, said Eeyore in a terrible voice to all Rabbit's friends and relations. And hush, they said hastily to each other all down the line, until it got to the last one of all. And the last and smallest friend in relation was so upset to find that the whole expedition was saying hush to him that he buried himself head downwards in a crack in the ground and stayed there for two days until the danger was over and then went home in a great hurry and lived quietly with his aunt ever afterwards. His name was Alexander Beetle. They had come to a stream which twisted and tumbled between high rocky banks and Christopher Robin saw at once how dangerous it was. It's just the place, he explained, for an ambush. What sort of bush? whispered Pooh to Piglet. A gorse bush? My dear Pooh, said Owl in his superior way, don't you know what an ambush is? Owl, said Piglet, looking round at him severely. Pooh's whisper was a perfectly private whisper, and there was no need. An ambush, said Owl, is a sort of surprise. So is a ghost bush sometimes, said Pooh. An ambush, as I was about to explain to Pooh, said Piglet, is a sort of surprise. If people jump out at you suddenly, that's an ambush, said Owl. It's an ambush, Pooh, when people jump out at you suddenly, explained Piglet. Pooh, who now knew what an ambush was, said that a gorse bush had sprung at him suddenly one day when he fell off a tree, and he had taken six days to get all the prickles out of him. We are not talking about gorse bushes, said Owl a little crossly. I am, said Pooh. They were climbing very cautiously up the stream, going from rock to rock, and after they had gone a little way, they came to a place where the banks widened out at each side, so that on each side of the water there was a level strip of grass on which they could sit down and rest. As soon as he saw this, Christopher Robin called, Halt! And they all sat down and rested. I think, said Christopher Robin, that we ought to eat all our provisions now, so that we shan't have so much to carry. Eat all our what? 
said Pooh. All that we brought, said Piglet, getting to work. That's a good idea, said Pooh, and he got to work too. Have you all got something? asked Christopher Robin with his mouth full. All except me, said Eeyore, as usual. He looked round at them in his melancholy way. I suppose none of you are sitting on a thistle by any chance. I believe I am, said Pooh. Ow! He got up and looked behind him. Yes, uh, yes, I was. I thought so. Thank you, Pooh, if you've quite finished with it. He moved across to Pooh's place and began to eat. It don't do him any good, you know, sitting on him, he went on as he looked up Munchin. Takes all the life out of him. Remember that another time, all of you. A little consideration, a little thought for others, makes all the difference. As soon as he had finished his lunch, Christopher Robin whispered to Rabbit, and Rabbit said, Yes, of course. And they walked a little way up the stream together. I didn't want the others to hear, said Christopher Robin. Quite so said Rabbit, looking important. It's... I wondered. It's only... Rabbit, I suppose you don't know. What does the North Pole look like? Well, said Rabbit, stroking his whiskers, now you're asking me. I did know once. Only I've sort of forgotten, said Christopher Robin carelessly. It's a funny thing, said Rabbit. I've sort of forgotten, too, although I did know once. I suppose it's just a pole stuck in the ground. Sure, to be a pole, said Rabbit, because of calling a pole, and if it's a pole, well, I should think it would be sticking in the ground, shouldn't you? Because there'd be nowhere else to stick it. Yes, that's what I thought. The only thing, said Rabbit, is where is it sticking? That's what we're looking for, said Christopher Robin. They went back to the others. Piglet was lying on his back, sleeping peacefully. Roo was washing his face and paws in the stream, while Kanga explained to everybody proudly that this was the first time he had ever washed his face himself. An owl was telling Kanga an interesting anecdote, full of long words like encyclopedia and rhododendron, to which Kanga wasn't listening. I don't hold with all this washing, grumbled Eeyore. This modern behind-the-ears nonsense. What do you think, Pooh? Well, said Pooh, I think. But we shall never know what Pooh thought, for there came a sudden squeak from Roo, a splash, and a loud cry of alarm from Kanga. So much for washing, said Eeyore. Roo's fallen in! cried Rabbit, and he and Christopher Robin came rushing down to the rescue. Look at me swimming, squeaked Roo from the middle of his pool, and was hurried down a waterfall into the next pool. Are you all right, Roo, dear? called Kanga anxiously. Yes, said Roo. Look at me swim, and down he went over the next waterfall into another pool. Everybody was doing something to help. Piglet, wide awake suddenly, was jumping up and down and making... Noises. Owl was explaining that in a case of sudden and temporary immersion, the important thing was to keep the head above water. Kanga was jumping along the bank saying, Are you sure you're all right, Rue dear? 
To which Rue, from whatever pool he was in at the moment, was answering, Look at me swimming! Eeyore had turned round and hung his tail over the first pool into which Rue fell, and with his back to the accident was grumbling quietly to himself and saying, All this washing, but catch on to my tail, little Rue, and you'll be all right. And Christopher Robin and Rabbit came hurrying past Eeyore and were calling out to the others in front of them, All right, Rue, I'm coming, called Christopher Robin. Get something across the stream lower down, some of you fellows, called Rabbit. But Pooh was getting something. Two pools below Rue. He was standing with a long pole in his paws, and Kanga came up and took one end of it, and between them they held it across the lower part of the pool. And Rue, still bubbling proudly, Look at me, swimming! drifted up against it and climbed out. Did you see me swimming? squeaked Rue excitedly, while Kanga scolded him and rubbed him down. Pooh, did you see me swimming? That's called swimming, what I was doing! Rabbit, did you see what I was doing? Swimming! Hello, Piglet! I say, Piglet, what do you think I was doing? Swimming! Christopher Robin, did you see me? But Christopher Robin wasn't listening. He was looking at Pooh. Pooh, he said, where did you find that pole? Pooh looked at the pole in his hands. I just found it, he said. I thought it ought to be useful. I just picked it up. Pooh, said Christopher Robin solemnly. The expedition is over. You have found the North Pole. Oh, said Pooh. Eeyore was sitting with his tail in the water when they all got back to him. Tell Rue to be quick, somebody, he said. My tail's getting cold. I don't want to mention it, but I just mention it. I don't want to complain, but there it is. My tail's cold. Here I am, squeaked Rue. Oh, there you are. Did you see me swimming? Eeyore took his tail out of the water and swished it from side to side. As I expected, he said. Lost all feeling. Numbed it. That's what it's done. Numbed it. Well, as long as nobody minds, I suppose it's all right. Poor old Eeyore. I'll try it for you, said Christopher Robin, and he took out his handkerchief and rubbed it up. Thank you, Christopher Robin. You're the only one who seems to understand about tales. They don't think. That's what's the matter with some of these others. They've no imagination. A tale isn't a tale to them. It's just a little bit extra at the back. Never mind, Eeyore, said Christopher Robin, rubbing his hardest. Is that better? It's feeling more like a tale, perhaps. It belongs again. If you know what I mean. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh, coming up to them with his pole. Hello, Pooh. Thank you for asking, but I shall be able to use it again in a day or two. Use what? said Pooh. What we were talking about. I wasn't talking about anything, said Pooh, looking puzzled. My mistake again. I thought you were saying how sorry you were about my tail being all numb, and could you do anything to help? 
No, said Pooh. That wasn't me. He thought for a little and then suggested helpfully, Perhaps it was somebody else. Well, thank him for me when you see him. Pooh looked anxiously at Christopher Robin. Pooh's found the North Pole, said Christopher Robin. Isn't that lovely? Pooh looked modestly down. Is that it? said Eeyore. Yes, said Christopher Robin. Is that what we were looking for? Yes, said Pooh. Oh, said Eeyore. Well, anyhow, it didn't rain, he said. They stuck the pole in the ground, and Christopher Robin tied a message to it. North Pole, discovered by Pooh. Pooh found it. Then they all went home again. And I think, but I'm not quite sure, that Rue had a hot bath and went straight to bed. But Pooh went back to his own house, and feeling very proud of what he had done, had a little something to revive himself. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.